It is Thursday the 12th of September. I'm your host Ryan Kier and this is the Quantium Cast. Let's get in to some headlines but before we do that I think it's really necessary for us to shed light on an important topic. If you're going through any problems with mental health, if you're having any issues trying to get on with your day remember that you are loved and you can always reach out to a loved one and they will only want to hear how you are what you want to do what's been bothering you there are so many people to talk to this month is suicide prevention month and i would like to share a story that is very personal to me in fact a close friend of mine growing up had a couple of difficulties to say the least at home and he ended up taking his own life. That experience has really stuck with me in a way that you have to embrace what's going on and look around at the positives because bottling up never has a positive consequence. However, this close friend of mine had always put a smile on my face. He was always a nice guy and he didn't let the problems going on at home affect the mood of others like myself. But I would have only wished looking back that we could have discussed those things. And now, especially male mental health, female mental health is extremely important. But one of the things that are kind of shunned in society include male mental health. It's not macho to uh, hide your emotions. It is manly, in fact, if that's what you're after, to express your emotions and be real keep it raw and uncut. One of the main reasons why we started this podcast is to keep everything raw and uncut, straight off the press with no influence from any other third parties at Quantum Research. And I really hope that uh, during Suicide Prevention Month, and in fact, every other month in the year, we can all work as a collective in bringing down rates of people taking their own lives by working together and embracing one beautiful thing that's called dialogue. Don't be afraid to talk about something. You don't have to think, oh, what if they judge me? It doesn't matter. We love you and we want to hear you out. I mean, my personal Twitter's at RyanKia2. If you want to ever talk about anything, my direct messages are open. There is no such thing as a problem that is too little you are valued and anything you're going through that you want to get off your head feel free to talk to anyone there's samaritans out there this area of trading does get stressful and a lot of people are driven to negative thoughts but if you do want someone to talk to and you can't reach out to people nearby say someone doesn't pick up a call samaritans i believe the number let me just clarify so i can give the exact one 116123. You just call 116123 and you'll be able to speak to a volunteer at any of their branches. So, without further ado, let's get into today's focus stocks. The first being diversified gas and oil, otherwise known as DJOC, on the London Stock Exchange. iGas Energy PLC, ticker symbol iGas listed on the AIM exchange, otherwise known as the alternative investment market, small caps, the UK version of penny stocks, whatever you'd like to put it. And the final company, Trainline PLC, a recent addition to the London Stock Exchange, a company that is heavily advertised through e-commerce, but we're going to be looking at them 
as our final focus stock. But to begin with the first one, Diversified Gas and Oil. This company has actually released a trading update or a main market and corporate update, just put in layman's terms, a trading update of their operations. So they propose to move to the main market of the London Stock Exchange and they expect this to actually complete by the end of the first quarter 2020. This is subject to approval by the UK's Financial Conduct Authority, otherwise known as the FCA. Diversified Gas and Oil have also acquired a couple of assets. They've given an acquisitions update in this RNS that we're looking at right now. They have acquired Edgemark Energy Holdings assets, which related to their hedge book. So if any of you are familiar with how a hedging process works, it's just basically insurance, but on operations of say commodities or just assets that have a relatively volatile value and a lot of people want their money. In fact, if any of you have studied business, you may have come across the term debt factoring when, where you actually sell on the debt to other people of debtors to you, which in simpler terms, if we put a little story, let's say I am owed money by someone, but I'm not sure if they're going to pay me that money back. And that debt is say a hundred pounds. I could sell on the debt to somebody else and say, look, if you give me 90 pounds right now, I can let you be the one able to collect this entire debt. So if they collect the hundred pounds, they make the 10 pounds different, but they do bear the risk of say the person running away and not paying the debt. So in reality, actually, they wouldn't pay 90 pounds for it. They'd probably say, look, if you want the instant cash, we'll give it to you, say, 75 cents on the pound, 75 pence on the pound, or cents on the dollar, depending on what currency we're using. But in this case, we're using pounds. So that 75 pounds goes to me, then 25 remains for them as a bit of profit. It's a decent return, eh, for their investment, assuming that they get all of it, 25% decent. They're not really doing anything except for collecting a debt. The problem is the majority of the debts that are sold here are really difficult to source through like debt factoring. Examples could include furniture companies. Well, these guys aren't exactly doing that, but they are following a hedging process. So I only assume that uh, diversified gas and oil is acquiring these assets in terms of vertical integrations, well actually sorry, backwards vertical integration. They're buying things that are behind them in the supply chain and the production process to make things easier because they've even mentioned that they're acquiring natural gas gathering systems from Dominion Gathering and Processing from Equitrans for an aggregate consideration in terms of cash of seven and a half million dollars. That was announced on the 27th of August. It is the 12th of August, uh, 12th of September today actually. But we can see that they are just trying to build up their business in terms of acquisitions around the block. And they've also had quite a significant buyback program. That is one thing that is really important to say the least. They have bought something like 34 million shares, which at a pound odd pence per share equates to 34 million pounds. 
That is something. I mean, we could say that uh, equates for around 5% of the company's entire share capital. The only worry is when companies are buying back their shares, a lot of the time they're using debt. I mean, this company is profitable, so DJOC, otherwise known as Diversified Gas and Oil, doesn't really have much to worry. But they mentioned that uh, they are using the excess cash flow off the dividends to pay down its revolving credit facility. That's a little bit worrying because a lot of these acquisitions have been paid with the revolving credit facility. That's not bad until you can't pay it. But the thing that worries me is why are they still doing buybacks? I know everyone likes buybacks because it's good for the share price in the short term. You can see a lot of growth, for example. But if we look at their one-year performance, they've made highs at 134 and they're at 112 right now. They have rallied around 10% in the last week though, from like 97 to 112 pence per share. But they started the year at 115, they're currently at 112. If we're talking September 2018, so 52 weeks ago, this time last year, they are basically the same price. So the buyback program hasn't helped them that much. Over the past five years it has though, but we could maybe cite other factors for their growth. I mean, in 2017, February 2017, they were trading around 56 pence per share and they rallied to all-time highs of around 135 pence per share on the 17th of May 2019. And it was basically an upwards progression, but it was very, very slow. So I assume buyback programs help, but in this situation it didn't help because their buyback program began in April 2019, so this year. And if I can look back to the chart, can I see anything? That was when the share price was around 121 pence per share, rallied all the way to 135, then crashed towards 97. So the buyback program hasn't really helped. They've paid around an average price of 109 pence per ordinary share, which approximately totals to $47 million. That isn't a small sum to say the least for a company like this, but we can only take it as a little bit of a positive. The market hasn't. We will only assume that uh, there have been external factors at play, but most buybacks usually lead to increased shareholder confidence because the company is actually putting up its own capital, believing in its processes. We've mentioned a lot of companies in the past that were doing well operationally, but they didn't buy back any of their shares. But it could be argued that they just invest elsewhere. But anyways, looking at the shares of DJOC, Diversified Gas and Oil, not oil and gas, I don't know why. Um, the market cap is at £738 million. They are given something like a P ratio of around 3. That's probably incorrect because it's from Google. But we can't see any figures said in this. I would, I think it was much higher. But their shares have been relatively choppy, as I've mentioned. They are literally the same price they were this time last year. But they've had a range of around 97 to 135. So you've got about a 40% movement there also. But uh, we're talking 134 to 97, not 97 to 134. I don't know how easy it would be to short the shares here. They did an IPO in February 2017, so there's not much data aside from a rough 
upwards trend channel that we could maybe use from 2017 to 2019. But we haven't seen many figures about the company. They are trying to deleverage their balance sheet. That's one thing you should pay attention to. If you're looking for growth stocks, usually it is a good idea to avoid already levered up assets. Moving on to iGas Energy PLC. This company has a ticker symbol, IGAS, iGas basically. They got quite lucky there, I assume. But if we look at the news release, we can see that, uh, first of all, they are a producer of hydrocarbons, basically an oil and gas company. And they have released their results, the half year results for the six months ended the 30th of June, 2019. We can see revenues in comparison to the corresponding period remaining fairly stable. In fact, the previous period, 21.1 million pounds and currently 21.2 million pounds, literally a difference of 100,000 pounds. But the resultant situation right now is a betterment in their accounts because in the previous period, they lost 1.2 million after tax in terms of pounds and they made 800,000 this six month period that had been reported. Their net debt is down from 7.4 million to 5.9, which is decent. Their cash and cash equivalents are literally 100,000 pounds less than the previous 14.5 million pounds. So that takes them to 14.4 million pounds in terms of cash and cash equivalents right now. They had a net production averaging around 2,360 barrels of oil per day in half one 2019 compared to just under 2,300 in half one 2018. That's not much operational progress, but for the year they're expecting the range to be around 2,200 to 2,400. A nice range of around 10% from lows, which isn't that bad. They've got costs being under budget, which is decent. The only issue is for a company of this size, 62 million pounds, if we look at their London Stock Exchange listing, to be making 800,000 pounds in six months, I assume they'd probably just spread their costs out. So maybe I, I can actually see that uh, it is possible that they can spread those costs out to the situation where say in the second half they make a bit more money. But assuming we just use a bit of extrapolation here, let's say they make exactly 800,000 pounds in the second half of the year, then they are trading at a price to earnings ratio of around 40. For an oil and gas stock, especially a junior oil and gas stock, at least they've got some revenue and they're making a profit. I mean, that's good, but 40, is extremely high. In our previous episodes, we've talked about Premier, price earnings ratio of three, Enquist, 1.8, uh, GKP around eight, that's a little bit higher, but we were talking, in fact, suggesting that GKP was potentially expensive. And now seeing something with a P of 40, we must be a little bit worried. But in terms of iGas's intricacies in their balance, statement or in fact the financial summary they have cash balances as we mentioned of 14.4 million pounds and operating cash flow has actually increased by around 3 million to 8.7 million pounds they've got hedging in place with a decent amount of barrels so they've got 
2,000 barrels per day. If we use a simple calculation, just to save some time, or 2,300 to be safer, they have hedged something like half of their production. In fact, let me just double check. 57% of their production has been hedged in place for half one, half two 2019 and half one 2020 with average downside protection of $53.5 a barrel using put options. So they basically shorted oil or put also options. They haven't specifically shorted. They've just had something that expires and covers a good bit of their losses, assuming oil prices crash or whatever. It's, it's a good safety measure for a business like this. But the only worrying thing is if, say, oil prices soar, they are hedged on a decent amount of their production. So they are restricting their potential earnings in, in the event that this happens. But it does help the company prioritize survival in times of crisis. What I worry about, though, is, in fact, that hedging proportion is a little bit worrying. You'd usually see around 30, 40%, 57% is extremely high. And it could be even more because I have used a really conservative estimate. What if they do 2,200 barrels? Say if they do 2,200 barrels a day, we could calculate that. And that would give us something like, it should be 60 odd, let's check. Just under 60% at 59 and a half. So let's just say around 56 to 60% of their production is hedged. iGas had a huge problem with their debt back in 2016, which led to a refinancing, which had been quite dilutive to say the least. They haven't been doing that well over the past 52 weeks. We can see highs made around this time last year, in fact, a month after. The 12th of October, 2018, was the exact date where highs were made at £1.20 per share. And right now, they are trading at 50.55 pence per share, which is a little bit worrying. In five days, they're up a penny, nothing too special. In a year, though, as we've mentioned, in terms of percentages, though, they're down 58%. And in five years, their shares were around £20 per share. Now they're trading at 50 pence per share. That's not the greatest. In fact, they had been one of the companies hurt the most that are still around right now from the 2014 to 15 to 16 crash in oil prices. I mean, £29.65 a share in January 2014, and in June 2015, £6.30 a share. And even though oil prices have recovered now, I remember Brent being $27. Brent oil is basically uh, known as UK oil. US oil is WTI because WTI is West Texas Intermediate Oil and Brent is from the North Sea, easiest way to put it. Those prices, the, well the prices of Brent in particular, the most expensive one, was $27 a barrel. Now it's something like 60 or so. I think it's $61 a barrel last time I checked and that represents a more than doubling and we came down from highs of around 86 in October, something like October 2018, I believe. I think that was 
when we had highs. And iGas did quite well then. They rallied from lows which were around 60 to highs of 120. But right now they're at 50 pence. So they are in a worrying situation to say the least. They did pay off the majority of their debt though in their restructuring. The problem is I believe they gave up the majority of their production. So that's a little bit unfortunate. And there isn't a situation where we can really set a target because the stock's been in a long-term downtrend for a while. I almost said drowning for a second. They have been drowning effectively. I mean, you've got resistance points at 61, 86, 97, and 120 as important areas to consider. Or in fact, we could give the first area right now is 54 to 61. It's the price you could target if you were long 54-ish. The only issue is this kind of chart is one of those ones where you like to reshort on a downtrend. Every time the stock rises a little bit, we could use Metro Bank from the other day until it actually broke out. I mean, Metro Bank yesterday had broken out on the daily, but if it hadn't broken out on the daily, you would have only assumed to reshort, say B short before, and then reshort on any retests of say 200 day moving averages or whatever, or just what was the severe level of resistance that was decreasing by using moving averages. And for those wondering, what if this goes wrong? What if the stock breaks out, say, like Metro Bank did? Well, you have a tight stop just above that area. You're saving yourself so much stress and so much risk. You have basically a near, in, in fact, we're not gonna use the term certain, but an extreme likelihood of your position working out in your favor. And if it doesn't, if you were riding the trend, you're likely going to just give up a little bit of your profits and save yourself a lot of potential loss. And finally, to finish off today's episode, we're gonna be looking at Trainline PLC. This company had recently done an IPO. They listed on the stock exchange, I believe, on the 21st of June, 2019. So very recently. And they are basically a fintech company. If you haven't already heard of these guys, which I have actually, I've used them to get a couple of trains in the past, give you a bit of it's almost like uh, booking a holiday, but uh, checking the prices of trains. So not, not that fun to say the least, but it is very helpful and convenient. So these guys, Train Line, I must not get mixed up with TrainPal, the app that's been heavily advertised on YouTube. This, these guys are not TrainPal, they're Train Line. And their group net ticket sales of 1.8 billion increased year on year. We just need to first mention that the report given here is for the first six months of the full year 2020. They use a different accounting measure, which uh, is totally fine in this situation. But we'll just say, use an example for now, right? In comparison to the same period last year, as we mentioned, their full year revenue, or their half year revenues, forgive me, are up 19%. The only issue is that this company isn't a huge driver of cash. They are making quite a decent amount of sales, but the problem is they take commissions 
from these train groups. Or we could use the example of the National Rail. These guys sell them through their site, a little bit of e-commerce, and then they take a little cut at the end. But these can't be huge cuts. You can't take more than, I don't know, 10, 20, 30%. So there's not a huge amount of revenue. And we must look at their outlook for the year. They have mentioned that their guidance for full year revenue growth should remain as expected in the low to mid 20% range. And that is driven by strong performance in the UK consumer category. They are looking to have a lot of additional marketing investments and that is expected to support the growth of their international business through the final phase of replatforming. I think there's a good amount of prospects for long-term growth with this company if they're able to say expand worldwide because the, yes they have not dominated the UK market but they have taken it by storm. I hate using this term because it assumes that I'm trying to pump the shares. I don't own anything in these guys. In fact, I didn't even know they were listed until today. I've used their site before, but uh, or even the services, but I didn't know they were listed at all. And they don't really have much trade data. So although it's a cool company, if we're talking about trades, it's difficult. And yes, they did have quite an expensive valuation. But once again, when you list, you assume you are extremely valuable. And then the market makes you extremely overbought after your listing. That's the majority of the situation of IPOs turn out like that. We could look at Uber. We could look at Foot Asylum. Foot Asylum got bought out. Yes, they did. Quadruple from lows of 20 pence per share to 80 pence after getting bought out. But they listed at around 256 pence. So this almost seemed like a crisis buyout. With uh, Amigo Loans, we could look. Listed at around 250 pence per share as well. Or something like a hunt. 190 I don't know but around there and their shares have crashed they're at something like 70 pence per share now I believe in fact I could double check 73 pence per share and they had lows at around 60 odd but we will also have a look at with train pal their consumer revenue growth being expected to be lower in the second half, largely due to the annualization of revenue streams that launched during the second half of full year 19. So there's nothing problematic there, but they are basically giving a revenue warning with their revenue growth in the second half. But as a whole, they are performing as expected. So there isn't anything bad to be taken from there. But as many of us are probably familiar with how these IPOs work. They are so overvalued because there aren't any mentions about profits and there are just reinvestments into growth. This is really only a fintech company at the moment. There's a huge amount of scope, but at a valuation of two billion pounds. I mean, who could we give an example of as a comparison measure? Provident Financial maybe? We could use those guys, one of the largest lenders like a huge business, has a market cap of I think around a billion. In fact, yes, a billion and 400, actually one billion and four million pounds. So let's just say around a billion pounds of a market cap. Those guys, even at a P ratio of around 17, 
are valued at half what these guys are. Yes, these guys are with e-commerce, a huge market, but there isn't that much of a market to be taken up in the UK. Soon you'll have to go further, expand to say the US, China, wherever really. South America, it doesn't matter. There are endless opportunities. But I haven't seen any mentions of profits. Yes, this is a trading statement and the half year results are gonna be actually released on the 5th of November, 2019. But best know we're gonna note that and confirm whether there is any value in Trainline PLC. But they've had a decent amount of growth. I mean, 99% growth in international revenue. That's cool, but we haven't seen an international market penetration strategy because their international revenue was seven million pounds in the corresponding period. Now it's 14 million, but their total group revenue had increased from 1.5 billion to 1.8 billion. So the international sales are literally a tiny proportion of what they are already getting in terms of revenue. So that is something to pay attention to. The valuation of Trainline PLC is just not appealing for value. I mean, it's not extremely expensive to say the least, but for me, I can't see anything that attracts me right now, but I see growth kicking in if I can see a management strategy that looks to go international, then I'll definitely search for value. On a technical trade basis, there's not much data. I mean, 400 to 470 range bound just doesn't present an opportunity, especially with the illiquidity of the shares and the spread. But we will cover this on the 5th of November to see how things go and hopefully provide a little bit more of a, an update, or in fact, some details that will help you all understand this investment decision, whether it's a bullish investment or a bearish investment. But anyways, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. This is episode 31. Goodness me, we've been on a roll. We haven't missed a single day. But this does wrap up today's episode. I have been your host, Ryan Gear. But before I go, I would like to apologize for the sad tone at the beginning of this episode. But I believe this is in fact personal to me. Something that is an important issue. Mental health, the whole idea of preventing suicide and reaching to people, reaching out to people. And in fact, being able to discuss. We all go through a lot of difficulty. The beauty is though, that a lot of the time we come together as a community to support others. And Samaritans is a great example, as we mentioned earlier. And if you wanna call them, don't be shy. If say, you're unable to reach out to people close to you, myself, anybody really, don't give up, that is not the end. There are so many people who want to hear you. I'm gonna give Samaritan's number again, 116123, and they have 209 branches of volunteers to just speak to you. It's a wonderful service, and it is totally free. Don't worry about it, you don't have to be any type of person. There is no discrimination. They will support you through a difficult time. This is not some kind of sponsorship before anybody assumes I'm mentioning this because it is very personal to me. As I mentioned the story at the beginning of this podcast, a close friend of mine had been taken away from this world due to a lot of issues. He had domestic abuse going on inside the household, an abusive stepdad, a mother who was uh, 
suffering from a drug addiction. Those things built up, yet he was still smiling, but he was smiling through the pain. He was afraid to talk about it. If anybody is going through something like that, or even mourning the loss of a loved one, or even something that uh, society with regards to smaller, but we don't have any discrimination against, a small problem in your day-to-day life, speak to somebody. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Ryan Keir. Until next time.